You're listening to C3 Church Tugra's podcast. Join us today as we listen to our Sunday service message that will inspire and equip you. We pray that you are blessed and empowered as you listen. We're going to have revival in the cinema in Jesus' yes. name. Amen. Yes, amen. Why don't we just put our hands together for Pastor Phil as <laughs> he brings it. the word. What a great amen. weekend we had last weekend. All right, we got time. This is more like uh, this delivery of our service because we've had so many great moves of God in the previous service, but I've got to punctuate it with some word. Um, I think I'm reminded of Nehemiah, and he's on the way back to rebuilding the temple, and uh, Ezra, Ezra, that's right, Ezra, uh, in chapter 8, thereabouts, they stop, and they, they've got to listen to Ezra, who's a scribe, he's a wordsmith. He hears from God. He knows the Word of God explicitly and knows what those people should be doing. And, and this is so important for these, these days, guys. We must, as much as we get a breakthrough and we get healing and deliverance, we've got to go straight back to the Word and, and give it context and allow it to live in us, that breakthrough. So please, uh, please uh, be in the Word. So I'm going to bring some of the word. I'm going to give it by line by line. If you've got your Bibles, please get them open right now. If you've got your um, pens and, and pads, please take some notes. I will go through it as quickly as I can, but I need to give context of what God's doing. What a powerful Passover Easter weekend we had, did we not? C3? And I don't know who all those people were, but praise God for them and hope that they were blessed. And, um, and I sense again, we've got more visitors today, so praise God. God is releasing a word in season, and it's for all those who are prepared of heart. And I would recommend you be in prayer and just be very attentive, be very attentive to the Holy Spirit. Do you know what I'm saying? Because the Lord is saying something. The Lord is desperately trying to get a message to the church. And who can say amen to that? Let's all stand and I'll declare something over you before I start. In the Hebrew calendar, it's 5783. And of course, the Gregorian cal calendar is 20. 23. So there is a number three in this. Three is a number of wholeness. It's like harmony, new life, completeness. So three is a number of wholeness, and he's preparing you even so, even the last 12 months, he's preparing you for the new year of 575784, which is the year of doors. Who believes that they're standing at a precipice to walk through a new door into a new dispensation of blessing and grace? Amen. So, Thus says the Lord, I'm going to close the doors in your life that would have robbed you in the next season in the future. May the power of the blood of the Lamb that separated those from the death angel in Goshen we celebrated last Easter be upon your life. May death and destruction be far from your doors. May the DNA, I said the DNA carrying thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Can you, can you, come on, you getting this? Give us this day our daily bread that we may forgive those who have trespassed against us. This is so important 
for this day and age to forgive those ones because the Bible says in Corinthians, if you forgive those, they sh- in Corinthians, they shall be forgiven so that we can be forgiven so that we can outwit Satan's plans of you being stuck. Amen. That we may forgive those who've trespassed against us, Lord, and thank you for the power of repentance. That thank you for the power of recovery and a restart, a reset. Thank you, Lord. And say after me, my life, my life, say this, my life will be changed. And I will make a difference. I will leave a legacy. In Jesus' name. Thank you for the gift of the power of your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, or if you like, Yeshua's name. Amen. Just while you're still standing. And for the prophetic people, last Thursday in the Jewish history was the 22nd of Nisan. Now, if you're not sure about the Hebrew calendar, that month, that is a month. Nisan is a month. And so last Thursday is part of the Jewish history of Joshua and the children of Israel began their seventh-day march around the walls of Jericho. So you are saying you want to reach that promised land. The promised land now is the totality of your salvation, the zozo, the, the wholeness of your life. And that is still applicable now. We're pushing into that promised land. A lot of us are still in the wilderness. Some of us need to die to ourselves and go through the Jordan. And we need to reach that promised land. So isn't this incredible that Joshua and the children of Israel began their seventh day march around the walls of Jericho? Believe with me for this. If there are walls, you need to fall. Walls of every stronghold. Strongholds will be broken. Begin to declare by faith that they are coming down in Jesus' name. Walls around family members who need Jesus. Come on, just lift your hands right now for those family members. Walls around your heart to love and to receive love. Walls around your finances to give and receive, as Pastor Julia was saying. Maybe the last bastion of breakthrough in your life is the ability to be to be rid of that fear of giving. The opposite of faith is fear. And we are a people of faith, love, power, sound mind, not fear. For the Lord has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. Lord, open my eyes this morning. Open my ears this morning. And the saints say, amen. God bless you. You can take a seat. Walls are coming down. For many years, we've had a dream, pastors especially, and this is why I got into ministry 27 years ago. I had a dream for the church to be the church, a church characterized by unity, power-filled believers, personal holiness, and a people that have a great ability to reach the lost. Who can say amen to that? But we have faced a reality that a lot of the church is not transformed and maybe even stuck. It's not clean. It's not powerful. It's not victorious. But praise God, in these remarkable days, and I can say with a smile on my face, God is creating a hunger 
and even a desire for sanctification on a whole new level, allowing for deliverance. You are in a transition, friend. You are in a new era, being given every available opportunity to get that breakthrough you need, to rid yourself of the besetting sins that hold you bound. So I'm going to talk like a doctor. I'm Dr. Phil. You've got a double appointment this morning. You've got a double appointment. That means not just 15 minutes, you've got half an hour, maybe even more. And I'm going to sincerely look you in the eye. I'm not going to stare down at the desk and you're just going to, you know, talk about your stuff and I'm just going to quickly write out a prescription. I'm going to actually look into your eye like your life depended on it. And I'm going to give you a prescription for your way forward in this present day. You up for that? Yes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> awesome. We believe in salvation and people get saved. You've seen that. We believe in healing and we pray for the sick and they get healed. We believe in the gift of the tongues and people speak in tongues in the spirit. And if we really believed in deliverance, people would be delivered. This should be normal occurrence in the life of the church. One third of Jesus' ministry, they tell me, was deliverance. Casting out demons there and then, right there on the spot, in the, in the, in the aisle of the, of the supermarket, in the parking lot. Jesus didn't go into a safe little place. He said, excuse me, I'll be back in a minute. I've got an issue here. He just delivered people there and then. Demons were more um, real and they, they were part of the, uh, the, the, even the culture. It, 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 it wasn't just a, a way out supernatural thing. It was part of the culture. Somehow we've hidden it and somehow we've shied away from it and somehow we've been um, embarrassed by it. We need to be like Jesus. I, I love the, the Mark 10, 7, 8, as you go, proclaim the message <clears throat> for the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Cast out demons. Freely have you received, freely give. Who loves that? And then it says, Mark... Uh, Mark 16, 17, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Friends, there is a rise in an end-day church. It's a church that will address all these matters. In his kindness and mercy, God has allowed his saints from time to time to have secrets revealed. One of those secrets was the empowering presence of God that allowed us to live victorious and to have a level of consecration in our life. And that power allowed us to witness by. It's called the empowering presence of God. And this is what the Spirit-filled church is actually about. It is not just the corporate anointing and presence of God. It's when you leave here and you take it into your car, into your marketplace, into your other people's lives and because you know God is there for you that's why the first major utterance of Jesus was repent for the kingdom all the resources of heaven are available to you right now that could be the best thing I say all morning amen and you can have that no matter where you don't turn it off that's another church type that's another people 
and you got, you got to work out what tribe you belong to. If, if this is too much for you, there's a safer version of Christianity. But if you want real power to stand in these hectic days and to deliver people and save people, this is what we're talking about. Amen? A church that is able to crash through the gates of hell. It's our conviction that God intends for his sons and daughters to be power-filled, clean, clean, victorious lives that fully honor him, that fully reflect the indwelling life of his son, Jesus. Every day I block numerous people that are just hitting on me. I don't look at the image, I block men. I block. I don't look at the image, I block. Man, I don't know, even in the last two weeks, I'm, especially the Easter promo I put up, it was the devil just threw mud at it. Anyway, I wasn't going to say that, but I did. We may not become perfect in this life, but certainly we can travel in that right direction, amen? He wants us to be delivered. Now, Hebrews 12.1, if we can... He asks us to put aside, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so, such a great cloud of witnesses, just think of all the great people that have gone before us, even your grandmother and grandfather and all the ones, uh, Nanny Jill, Julie's mother, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. New King James Version. But the, the King James Version actually says besetting sins. They are sins that we continually struggle with, that we are inclined to. Sins that won't seemingly let go. In fact, they ensnare us. When we try and move forward, when we try and serve God, when we try and pray and read the Bible and come to church, they ensnare us and we fall down. And when we pull, up, when we pull against them, it's like fishing line wrapped around your skin, around your legs. You ever tried to pull against fishing line wrapped around your legs? It just cuts into your skin. So Christians do not automatically become perfect and sinless when we are saved. Yes, it's imputed unto us the righteousness of Christ. Your spirit is saved. But depending on how far you want to go with this, you can keep your, your, what is it, your junk in in the boot, your stuff. 1 John 1.8 says, if we say that we have no sin... Junk in your trunk, Julie says. You can keep your junk in your trunk if you want. But if you do, the Bible says, if we say that we have no junk in our trunk, no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Thank goodness it says if we confess our sins, and this is what we're seeing wonderfully in the waters of baptism, I've never seen so many people confess their sins before they went into the waters of baptism. That was an amazing time three weeks ago. People knew, we didn't ask them to do it. Intuitively, they just knew that they had to confess their sins before they went into the waters of baptism, which represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection of new life for your life in Christ. Amen? If we confess our sins, he is faithful. And we've seen so many people get breakthrough here on this altar. And just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And so we continue but to struggle for the rest of our lives, in fact, because the Bible says, Galatians 5, 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Can you sympathize with this stuff? They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. You just can't do what you want to do half the time. But God, by His grace and by His mercy, He's giving us a time to prepare our souls. Our souls. Why? Because, and I even believe, because of this this, uh, darkness that is coming out, Sam Smith, my God, who is that guy? And, And stuff like that. But you know what? Because of the exposure of that, innocent people, a lot of people just sitting on the fence, they're not Christians, they may believe God, but they have a, may have a God consciousness. But those good people are turning away. And they're backing out from Disney, maybe. And they're backing out from the media. And they're backing out from these weird messages. And, and they're looking back. They're going, okay, I don't want that, family. <laughs> Even dads are going, kids, you don't need to see that. Kids, you don't need that. And then they're backing. And, and Well, I hope that they can see where they need to go, which is the light in you and the light in our church. Because if the church is the same as the world, they're not going to come. They're just going to stay in that place. So anyway, that might be enough to give context for what I'm saying. Nehemiah 8.13 says, On the second day of the month, as this move of God is sweeping the earth, And as it was in Nehemiah's time in the rebuilding of the temple, they needed the Word of God to build accurately. We need the the plumb line to be dropped beside everything that is happening here. We need to drop the plumb line. And so what happens? On the second day of the month, this is Nehemiah 8.13, on the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the scribe, the, the wordsmith, I believe that there's an Ezra anointing coming upon our youth on the Jesus movement. On the Jesus movement. We've got a movement of youth again in our church. We had this way back. But all, all of a sudden, we've got a move of hungry youth that are causing revival in the chapel service. Ordinarily, in the school chapel services, they've been mocked, the Christians. No one has stood up to worship. They've even actually been mocked, and it's been just such a, just such a horrible experience. But three weeks ago, our sister, amen, she, Maisie stood up in that, and with Julie instruction, gave a, a mother talk, and said to Maisie, Maisie's 17, by the way, she attends our school, and, um, and she said, you got this, all you got to do is this and this and this, do that, and she gave her an idea how to best share her testimony, she did, all of a sudden, while they were worshipping, these couple of hundred kids, probably three, four hundred kids, one at a time, popped up, boom, 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 one here, there, one there, oh my God, they're standing against they're against popular opinion, they're standing up to worship the king. That's a Jesus movement right there. At the end of their time, after she shared and after they worshipped, some hung back, 30, 40 of them hung back, and of course they had a time in the Holy Ghost on the altar until the teacher two hours later says, kids, you've got to go back to school. <laughs> Amen. 
Right now, the word needs to be strong in us at this time. We need to speak the truth in love. As ministers, Tim and Kiralee are great truth speakers. I love these guys. We need to speak the truth in love so that our people can be transformed. It's, we, we, we just can't pat you and stroke you and give you some sort of TED talk of how to be a better Christian. You, you, need, you need Jesus like you've never needed him before in your whole life. So I'm a firm believer we are living in the day of the open book. Oh, we're getting into some good stuff here, man. When we read the Bible now, it's revealing so much to us. Who's felt that? Who's... When we read the Bible years ago, or even just last year even, you know, it was like a sealed book. But now, it's become so alive with fresh revelation. Can someone concur with me on that? Is that true? It's like God wants to update the church to a fresh revelation for the era we're living in and to understand what is going on. People are actually asking, and they're wanting this. They're wanting truth. They're wanting answers. And they want to know, what's going on? Get ready, saint. Have a good, sensible, apologetic, which means a very, very good reason of why we need Jesus. One minute. Have a one-minute version, a two-minute version. It only takes sometimes 45 seconds, a minute, just to give them that, that instant understanding that, oh my God, I could need Jesus. John the Baptist in the spirit and the power of Elijah saw Jesus coming in and saw him in his judgmental ministry, his winnowing fork in his hand, flame of fire, purges the floor. And when Jesus came, he didn't do any of that. Threshing floor in scripture is a place of separation and revelation. Threshing floor. Okay, some people are not understanding what I'm talking about. In the Bible days, agriculture, they had a threshing floor and the wheat was brought in. They would flog the wheat and then they would uh, allow a breeze to go in and separate the husk from the wheat, from the grain, the actual grain. And John the Baptist is saying, I see one, I see him coming with fire and with a winnowing fork, meaning a separation and a revelation of what is true and what is rubbish. Threshing as a metaphor for the judgments that he is meeting out, in fact, on nations, even on his church, on the world before his second coming. So it, it's symbolism in the Old Testament story of Ruth and Boaz. You can look at that. And it's in the New Testament. Ruth was encouraged by Naomi, her mother-in-law, to go down to the threshing floor where all that great story was completed. Boaz and the Redeemer. Redeem. And so people are coming to the threshing floor. Fire is hitting them. And guess what? The Redeemer is coming to them. And, and they're being in, taken in taken in and redeemed of all their sin, all their debt, and they're being taken in and they're becoming sons and daughters. Who loves that? Matthew 3, 11, I should quote this scripture because some people have not heard it, but I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. This is John the Baptist. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Say fire. fire. Say fire. Fire. Demons hate that, by the way, when you say that. If you feel yourself squirming, please get yourself down on the altar later. Because demons hate the fire of God. Snakes hate fire. And snakes move out 
of their hiding when you do. Anyway, I shouldn't go. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Who wants some chaff burned up in their life? John the Baptist had the classic problem that prophets have. He saw in the future, but he didn't see the accuracy of the timeline. John saw the end time ministry of Jesus, which I believe is now. So as 2 Thessalonians says in chapter 1, Jesus is coming back with powerful angels and flaming fire, bringing vengeance to those who don't know God, who disobey God. So I wouldn't like to be that person I quoted a little while ago when that happens. Jesus taught in the parables, tares and the wheat. And he said the tares and the wheat wrestle until the time of the harvest the time of the end. The wheat and the tares wrestle. Those, that, that, that chaff in your life is wrestling with the wheat, the good stuff that Jesus planted in there. That chaff is wrestling. We are in the wrestling time for souls. We are wrestling with people of darkness who are deliberately disobeying and opposing God and even trying to advance darkness. And we are contending with them for the sake of souls and even our nations. Jesus told the crowds of all these things in parables so that he would speak, that he would not speak anything to them without a parable so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Jesus said, I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept in secret from the foundation of the world. Matthew 13, 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. That's right now. And the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burnt in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out his kingdom, gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. Whoa. And those who practice lawlessness. Whoa. And will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteousness, then the righteousness will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So John the prophet missed it because of timing. The harvest is the end of the age, which is now. Who can, who can believe that? Do you, do you sense that the end of the age, the harvest, it's already happening his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he's thoroughly cleaning the threshing floor and gathering in the wheat. And the prophet can see a word. It may, it may be something in the past, like uh, Moses on Mount Sinai, and he goes up 40 days and revelation comes to him, and he sees the past, and he sees where mankind came from, and he writes the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah, and he writes that. Do you know what I'm saying? 
And then there's prophets that speak to the present. And then there's prophets that speak to the future. So I believe John the Baptist was speaking about the future. When he spoke about the fire, the chaff, the burning, the wheat. I believe that's now. And I believe the harvest speaks of now. John the Baptist thought it was going to happen then, but it's happening now. Amen. I think there may be something instructive in this, by the way. We need to adjust ourselves to the last days, Jesus. We all know Jesus is gentle, merciful, mild, and have a certain idea like that, don't we? We have the lamb, as celebrated last week, but he is coming back as a lion. We have the shepherd, but Jesus is coming back as a ruler. We have the sacrifice for our sins, but he's coming back as the judge of our sins. See the difference? Can you see the difference? This is the Jesus John, John the Baptist saw coming. More of a militant Jesus. Jesus still our Savior, our sacrifice, and our reconciler. But Jesus, who paid a great debt for our sins, is about to cast judgment on sins. Now, I've taught a message about the glory of God, and I believe the glory is coming down on the earth. There's five facets to the glory. The glory of God is this, God's greatness, God's goodness, God's signs and wonders, God's presence, and God's judgment. That is the glory. We are going to be glory carriers. I believe we will walk into rooms, into environments, and they will change because every place you place your heel, it will be transformed. Once you step into that classroom, boom. One foot, boom. That whole place is configured to be conducive to the kingdom of God. You can't ignore it. You can ignore it. I'm sorry. You can ignore it. Introverts love to ignore gaining attention to themselves, or being used in a way that's outside their personality. But I can tell you this, that when you receive power to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, you can do it. You can witness when you receive power, Jesse, to be a witness in the Spirit. And that's what's going to happen more and more in the workplace, in the most odd places, God is going to give you an ability to. So 1 Peter 4.17, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and it begins with us, that we will, that will be the outcome of those who do, do not obey the gospel of God. So Paul talks about, or Peter talks about, living for God in 1 Peter 4. And Peter is exhorting the church, the house of God, which was facing persecution, to persevere. The believers were struggling to separate themselves from their former worldly self and sins that once enslaved them. And it says that, read that please, 1 Peter 4, verse 1 to 4, take note. Peter then reminds them that the wicked will face God's judgment, verse 5. But that, but that believers in Christ must hold themselves to a higher, then he reminds them that the believers must hold themselves to a higher standard of holiness than the world. The fiery trials, he says, in the same chapter, that they were facing, that they were actually meant to refine them 
for their faith to be as of gold. That fiery trial you've been through has really meant for you to come up roses and to have your gold purified. Now, prophetically, the Holy Spirit is reminding us about getting our house in order. Say that after me. Getting my house in order. That means your spiritual house. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'm nearly done. 5.26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. Now I'm going to put some people on a bit of a guilt trip, but that's okay, you need it. I've been, Julie's been washing me in the word, I've been washing her in the word. She has a prophetic utterance for me, and then I have a prophetic utterance for, for her. And seemingly, more so these days, we are desperately trying every day to reconcile ourselves to what God is saying to us, to make sense of what he did for us maybe two days ago or in the church or when we watched something that had suggested something profound to us. These are the days, guys, to reconcile and to present her to himself, or back it up, 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself, this is the church now, radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So this glory is going to bring a level of judgment to the church. That's why we've seen exposure in the church. Let's be honest, there's been exposure of some things that haven't been right in the church. That doesn't mean we, we kick the church to the curb. That means we become the church and, and we give honor to God and give glory to God, God in being that church. Oh, I don't want to become the church. There's a, there's a, Francis Frangipane says there's a battle in your mind, there's a battle in the church, and there's a battle in the second heaven. Now, that should have been told to you when you got saved. <laughs> but we, we made it too easy for you, like parents do. They make it so easy for their kids. So we have this thing like lawnmower parents. Do you know what lawnmower parents are? Lawnmower parents who go ahead of their kids so that they don't get any bindies or any obstacles. And so when they come out of their house, the, the, the lawns are mowed, everything's perfect, life is perfect, daycare should be perfect, but you know, every, it's okay, come on, come on. In my day, we had to just learn to walk over bindies, <laughs> even run on gravel. We learned to run on gravel because life was for living. Life wasn't... <laughs> Let your kid experience mud, germs, environments that are not conducive maybe to Mary Poppins, but <laughs> at least let your child grow up to be resilient in these days. Am I speaking to someone right now? All of us would fall short of heaven if we were depending on our own effort to be free of sin, since even after we've been redeemed, such freedom that we desire is still somewhat of a struggle. Uh, Romans 7.15 says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. 
Now if I do what I do, what I want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have faith. Faith comes by hearing, by hearing the Word of God. And you've given your life to the Lord. You've believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth. Jesus is Lord and it's been imputed unto you as righteousness. And like Andrew said brilliantly last week, you can stand before God confidently before the throne of grace. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've stumbled into. Because of that great resurrection of Christ Jesus through the cross, we have this righteousness. And by our spirit, man, we can stand up and say, soul, sit by you. We're going to worship God. We're going to give. We're going to witness. And we're going to not be stingy. We're not going to have a self-pity trip with hardly done by and woe is me spirits hanging around me. Woke spirits. Woke spirits is about, or, or, or silent, silent, um, yeah, keeps you silent anyway. God wants to deliver, transform the people of God with his fire and with his winnowing fork. He wants his church clean, powerful, victorious. People healed, delivered. Self-denying, transformed believers, not wounded, worn-out warriors, carrying weights of buried, unconfessed past sins that we're never meant to carry. Many of us suffer from unhealed emotional wounds that prevent us from responding to situations as the Holy Spirit would want us. Wounds cause us to respond consciously, unconsciously to people and situations mostly in an unkind way, unhealed pain. Many of us are locked into addictions that are ungodly. A dominating influence, maybe, of evil spirits, of demons even. There, I said it. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Jillian, team, you can come up for a bit. Father, we don't want to diminish the value of what you did on the cross. It was too costly. It was too expensive for us to pull up here in this station of life you want me to be set free none of what you did in the past makes you ultimately who God wants you to be you've made some mistakes but that doesn't change God's love for you my friend he loves you not because of your performance Not because you do everything perfectly, but because you are his child. Romans 6.6, knowing this, that our old man, that old nature was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. This is what, this is the element I want to bring to the altar this morning.
We're seeing amazing healings and breakthroughs and so many testimonies of people's lives being touched, blessed, set free. Liz Wright declares, everything that restricts your authentic expression is coming off. Everything that has resisted your new creation life is defeated. The power inside of us is so great. He is breaking through now and resetting us into victory consciousness. The greatness and the power of the Lord will move through us in increased measure because we will be so eternally aligned and synchronized into the truth. Living with no resistance within us, no room for unbelief to intercept the flow of God through us. Holy Spirit, the spirit of dunamis power inside of you and me is removing everything that has fought against your life and restricted your authentic expression. Can you say amen to that? Now, through the kindness and the mercy of God, we're experiencing this wonderful move of God. And I believe this. We need to go from slavery to sonship. Those things that you're a slave to. Those vices that you're a slave to. Those thoughts that you're a slave to. Those things that are holding you. Besetting sins. God wants you to live like a son or a daughter. The Hebrew had come out of Egypt with a slave mentality. After all, for over four centuries, slavery was all that they had known. God wanted them to no longer think and live like slaves, but to understand and embrace that they were sons and daughters of Yeshua, Jesus. Slaves fear their masters. Sons and daughters trust their father. Slaves survive on the bare minimum. They always lack. They always live with lack and fear that there will never be enough. They have to work for everything that they have. Sons and daughters of the king live in abundance and have learned from experience that there will always be enough. They don't have to earn or work for that provision. So this in-between period is about moving them from fearful slaves to trusting sons. Father, we thank you. We praise you. Father, right now, let's just all stand if you could. Bless you. Father in heaven, we love you. We bless you. We praise you. Your kindness and goodness and your mercy. Jesus. I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Julie to come up. I believe I've brought you to a place where at least you can just stand on the altar, kneel on the altar, and allow us maybe to pray for you. But Pastor Julie will help us in this time. Holy Spirit, would you shine your light on us right now?